Hello, my name is Linda. I work at the Research and Design Bureau in News, where actually Daria <laughs> once started. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, I have a question. I mean, you can put political pressure on organizations to have goals towards net zero. Uh, and in my experience that it tends to look more at technology and solutions and so on. But as you talked about, to tackle global challenges, we need to look at how we organize, how we think, how we work. So how do you put pressure uh, on global and public sector uh, to actually work differently between, I mean, everyone still has their KPIs and their traditional way of working, but they have enormous challenges to meet and we need to work as a system. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm here to learn too, to be honest. Um, how do you do it? I, I would like to pick up on a word that was mentioned in the previous uh, session in this room, uh, and that was about net zero is not enough. Regenerative is what we actually need. So I think in, in one part, it can be about framing a conversation about what is the desired outcome, coming back to that, what is really good enough. If we're going to scope it like that, we're going to have to look way wider than technology fixes. Having said that, it's still good. Like I'm very happy that city, cities and organizations start to have real carbon budgets in, integrated into, so a combination. But I think framing the discussion differently, uh, and I think in, in part of this, like uh, holding space for the fact that that's not easy is a good thing. Um, another thing, no real change ever came without fights. So don't expect <laughs> it to be easy, kind mm. of. Uh, we have to just, you know, work really hard, and it's going to be uncomfortable and difficult uh, discussions. So that would be just a spontaneous, I don't have the recipe. Uh, trying to contribute. What's your reflection? Uh, I, I don't work in this space, but I think it is a similar problem at the organization and the societal level, right? I think as long as we have this default idea that it is good to grow, um, that affects a lot of decisions, even without us knowing about it. So I think maybe one of the things that Zaria is saying is like, you have to have a conversation about what the good life is. I mean, it sounds very abstract and philosophical, but we just have to have a movement towards thinking about what is enough, rather than always thinking that the only way to be successful is to always have more and more and more, which is unfortunate <laughs> because it's hard. So I just I want to say two things also because I agree and then actually dare to try to uh, do that. So that's where even though I you know projects and pilots, but actually examples of what it can be, that's where art comes in, where that's yes. where storytelling comes in. That's why it's so important to actually, when I say hold space, I also mean what kind of people are involved in that discussion in, and what's the space. And I think we can all influence that. A reflection on your talk though, and it just hit me kind of. Uncertainty is not only uncomfortable. Yes. It's amazing. Yes. <laughs> so what I realized that I also always loved, and that's what uncertainty means. First of all, no one can just tell me what's going to be good than bad. I love the fact that nobody can measure exactly what was good because then I get yes. to decide. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> so there's agency in uncertainty. Absolutely. And there is creative space for creativity in uncertainty. So that's one of the things that when I hear you talk, I'm like, yes, uncertainty is... Yeah. Well, it's scary, at the, but it's also amazing. And it's a space to act. Yeah. Thank you. We have a question in the back. Hi, I'm Lisa. Uh, I'm the founder of uh, EY Doberman. I loved everything. We can talk forever. But um, Daria, you and I, we tried 
uh, to scale innovation in an untraditional way <laughs> and learn that uncertainty is maybe not super uh, appreciated by our top politicians. And my, <laughs> my brain then went into the culture of and the role of media. So we cannot even have a Finnish prime minister party. Could we have a politician experiment? Are you going to vote for the politician that experience? Maybe not. So, Daria, on a systems level, <laughs> where you work, do you think it's possible that we would also get some strong public leaders that would adopt to this culture of uncertainty? Are you going to run for office or not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Okay, so, uh, you know, just uh, holding each other accountable, <laughs> great to see you. No, but to be honest, I, uh, yeah, let's have that discussion. Like, uh, are we complaining about politicians or are we trying to, you know, take responsibility? I'm, right now, I'm, I work for the government that is elected by the people. That's my job. That's what I'm going to do. Um, but if there's a need for another types of politicians and one thinks and has opinion, then maybe one should try it out. But what we can absolutely do, and what I think we're both trying in different capacities of doing is, again, who's in the room? So when you saw the picture of our former prime minister, it's because the prime minister was in workshops multiple times with researchers and with entrepreneurs trying to do this work. So in that sense, um, can we find the work practices where we were, here comes a term again, multi-level governance, like getting the local community and the other levels, and this way, in the same room, looking at the same problems, using scientists. So work practices are a way that I think we're, many of us are trying to put into different places. So coming back to Victor's point, maybe we are at the point where things are actually changing. We can't see it yet, but I would like to hope so. Hi, <clears throat> my name is Per Dörberg. I work for something called Innovation Skåne. I'm a project managing an electric road project in Lund, and I'm also co-founder of a company in Zambia working with clean tech and clean cooking. Cool. Uh, I'm wondering why, Vaughn, why you, you, why you chose the word desperation, because I mean, I, I personally reacted against it. I like the word urgency, and sure. I do love uncertainty. I know everything about uncertainty. <laughs> but I don't understand why you chose the word desperation, because in my mind, it sort yeah. of cl closes down your mind when you're desperate, when, when things are urgent. Yeah. That's different. Uh, it's because I'm a terrible brander and marketer, that's why. <laughs> no, but I, I think the, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a very quick answer. I, I agree, I think urgency is probably a better word, but um, when I was with these teams, so I, I was with these R&D teams, they were desperate. It wasn't just urgent. Like they were like, holy fuck, if we don't get this done, we are, you know, bad stuff will happen, right? I think desperation, we are in a similar situation with climate. Mm. So we may call it urgency and maybe it's more palatable for some people, but we, it is desperation. Like if we don't do something, we are fucked. Yeah, so, I agree yeah. totally, yeah. Yeah, no, but I think the reason why I say uh, desperation or urgency is because I'm just bad at choosing things that people okay. will like. I'm okay with it. I just <laughs> yeah. wanted to sort of point yeah, it no, out. that's why. Yeah, yeah, because I don't want to diminish urgency and I don't want people to be complacent. No. For sure. Yeah, thanks. May maybe desperation also allows for letting go of stuff. Mm. So for me, urgency just means let's try to do more. Oh, that's a very good point. <laughs> and desperation actually like, okay, 
again, fuck it. This yeah. stuff is just not going to happen. We have to do yeah. this. So it allows for letting go of stuff. Yeah. And, and just to say, I think the letting go is a really important part, right? Because a big part of why we don't innovate and learn is because we have this idea that what we already have is enough or what we already have is the right way of doing things. And it's only when it's very clear that it's not enough, we got to do it differently, that's when suddenly it becomes possible to think about bringing new skills onto the team or doing something differently that maybe is a little bit unpleasant, but maybe will work, right? I think that's the case. So another pandemic, uh, pandemic example then. How, I don't know, many of you were probably in the room trying to talk about schools, like how can we, I'm not saying schools should be digital and offline and all of that, but it was like, can we at least start using these things in a different way? And no, it can't be done and it can't be done. At least I was talking to universities and it's just no way. And then the pandemic came and it was desperation. It's like, we have no choice. You have to let go of everything. And now suddenly it turns out some of the people who hated it at first actually are no, 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 not going back. Hmm. So maybe that's what desperation can allow us yeah. in a positive framing of the word. Thank you. We have a question. Yes. Yeah, hi, my name is Sarah. I'm from the Forum for Social Innovation Sweden, or Mötesplatz Social Innovation that Dara mentioned at the beginning. Um, we work a lot with civil society and this multi-level governance that came up. And I was just thinking about your reflections there on the um, rapid uh, innovation and mobilization in the pandemic. To me, the pandemic also revealed uh, the lack of resilience in society because it was a very unequal pandemic. Mm -hmm. It hit people and communities in very, very different and unequal ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just thinking if there's anything we can learn from that in the systems innovation that we need to promote, because I'm very convinced we need the multi-level governance to work because we're in a polarized society and that really came out in COVID and it's coming out in lots of different ways. So if you could just reflect on what's needed to sort of connect the levels, if you see what I mean. I do see what you mean. And now again, being not the Holberg marketer, but you know, I, I oversimplified of course, and, and uh, essentially the pandemic was a tragedy and definitely showing a lot of the challenges in the inequality in society. So actually I would like to pose the question back f for you, but let, let's just say, and I couldn't mention it here, what we also saw, and we see it in every crisis, like the resilience of society has a lot to do with the civil society, like who steps up when things are not working, and we can give multiple examples of what we need in order for transformation. I'll give you one example that uh, I just heard. Uh, if we want more green infrastructure in our cities to prevent flooding, to increase health, you know, we want that, right? Uh, there are a lot of things that say that if we want that to be sustainable, we're going to have to engage it in it at a community level. It can't just be somebody's business to do it, as an example. So there are many opportunities here, and that's why having the civil society more deeply involved in the innovation system and in the innovation activities is very important. And one of the things that we're trying to build in this next generation, but to be honest, you are you do research in this field, so the question should be answered by you, <laughs> not by me. So uh, give, give me input after, I'll learn more. Where is the microphone? Okay. Hello, my name is Calvin. Um, I currently run a startup called Duckling, which uh, helps high school kids create compassionate storytelling. But I also spend a decade uh, working with innovation in some of the big media companies in the world, media institutions. And my question, and, and your talk, um, Vaughn, kind of uh, uh, 
it dawned on me why I failed miserably for 10 years. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but, but my question is, are there any examples of old um, established organizations that actually made the leap and redesigned themselves? Old, big organizations? Um, it's a good question. I, well, I know of some which are doing something differently in divisions inside. I can't say which ones they are, but one of them is a very large infrastructure merchant bank. And I think if you have people, I mean, all you have to do is just change the way you hire people and suddenly things begin to change, right? All you have to do is get rid of OKRs and all of a sudden things begin to change. All you have to do is get rid of incentive structures that work only on concrete outcomes and suddenly things begin to change. The, the interventions are very unsexy, but they work. So maybe we should try. But to answer your question directly, I don't know of any very big company because most of the time, the people who get all the way up to the top, they're very resistant to doing this kind of thing. So if any of you are at the top of a big company, you know what you should do, right, if you want to be innovative. Yeah. Thank you very much, Vaughn. And on that, that note, we have to wrap up this session. And on the subject of uncertainty, I would like to invite you all to the following session title, Stories That Shape the Future where we will learn how one goes about to write and tell stories that shape our understanding of the future. It starts at 